is a very important message going behind the scenes in the battle for your life. And I'll just tell you, you know, when you get serious about Jesus, the devil really does attack. How many of you are aware of that? He really does. And that's okay. As he said in Sunday school today, go ahead and attack us because we know we're doing something right if that's the case. Those of you who know me well know that as soon as I started writing this message and trying to work it through, I suffered with a, a kind of mysterious tooth, mouth infection, had two rounds of antibiotics. Praise God, today was the first day I woke up completely pain-free. And I said, thank you, Jesus, for helping me to trust you through this to this point. Because here we are, you know, God is good. Um, this is called going behind the scenes in the battle for your life because very recently... Some months back, I was studying the scriptures and was absolutely amazed and struck by one particular verse that I came upon that I came upon that brought to my heart some things I had never realized before. And I want to share that with you tonight. Um, I, I shared in the announcement that I gave this morning for the message, you know, just because we close our eyes to something, That doesn't make it go away, does it? And I shared this morning, it always cracks me up, my nephew who's now, you know, taller than me and we catch football together back when he was like two and three and four years old and we'd play hide and go seek. I would always be it somehow. I don't know why, but, yeah, Shelly, you're it, you know. So I'd be it and I'd count to ten and he was the one who was supposed to hide. And by the time I got to ten, he was always standing right in the middle of a room, totally visible with his eyes like covered like this. You can't find me, Aunt Shelley. You know, thinking because he can't see me, I can't find him. But so often in life, we as Christians want to kind of close our eyes to certain things, and we think that if we do close our eyes to it, somehow it really isn't true. But it is true. There is a battle going on for your life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But there's hope, and there's an answer for that. So what I'm going to ask is that you bow your heads with me, and we're going to invite God to speak and to move this evening. I thank you, God, for this evening. I thank you because it's supernatural miracle time. You've made promises to us, Lord, that when we are faithful to study and to share and proclaim your word, that it will never return void. And I know, Lord, your word is sharp like a two-edged sword, and that can go two directions. So here's what I'm praying, Lord. I'm praying that we will respond to your word tonight and be changed by it and be drawn closer to you through it. Not that we would hear your word and reject what's being said and therefore become harder. So I ask your Holy Spirit to move. Please cleanse me from all my sin. I depend on you, Jesus, and the price you paid on the cross, and each one of us does the same. We come humbly before you, expecting you to speak to us by the power of your word. And I'm believing, Lord, and praying that you will change people's lives tonight through your word, as you have been working to change mine. I pray that you will set many free who've been under a pressure an oppression that they can't quite figure out, that you'll clear some things up for them, and that, Jesus, you will be their deliverer. And I thank you for this in his name. Amen. Amen. 
just want to say this too. I didn't make a handout for tonight, but I know, you know, I had someone come tonight from another church and they said, man, I'm still looking at your outline from such and such an event. So, you know, if you email Hope and Passion Ministries, I can give you the PowerPoint outline if you're someone who likes to have notes, but you don't want to be stuck taking notes the whole night. Here we go. The first question I want to ask is, to what have we closed our eyes? To what have we put our hands over our eyes and said, I don't want to think about this and I don't want it to be true? Now, people, Pew Research and many other organizations have been doing a lot of research about the Church of Jesus Christ today, especially the Church of Jesus Christ in America. And the news is pretty bad as to what we as the Church of Jesus Christ at large have stopped talking about and preaching about and thinking about. Would any of you agree? We're in big trouble. And I'm going to quote someone who I know is well-respected. This is John MacArthur, and he's actually quoting an article that was in the Los Angeles Times. And listen to the point that he makes here. This is an article by John MacArthur called The Disappearance of Hell. He's talking about a well-known seminary professor. Hell, he said, is just too negative. Churches are under enormous pressure to be consumer-oriented. Churches today feel the need to be appealing rather than demanding. Now, that is true. And for a moment, we might think that that is good, but the problem is it's not going to lead to true spiritual health. Okay? So churches today largely, and I'm not just talking about one particular denomination, I'm talking across the board, You don't hear a lot of preaching today about hell, do you? Okay? I was standing at our teenager meeting. Uh, They had a wonderful presentation with a lady who does artwork about Revelation, and I happened upon the scene where she had graphically represented the screaming people who are being tormented in hell forever for a rejection of Jesus Christ. And I found myself standing in the back right there in that hallway watching that and for just a second thinking to myself, how can that possibly be true? How can people really go to hell and be tormented and judged forever? And I thought, Shelley, my, I mean this sincerely, my dear God, help me. It is true. Amen? Just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that it's not true. Hell is real. And by the way, Satan is real. Amen? Now, he's just the creation of God, but he's very powerful and he's very real. And just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it isn't true. But I have committed myself to proclaim all of God's truth. And so that's what this message is going to be about this evening. Despite people dismissing the reality of a true spiritual battle in the unseen realm by the devil and his minions, I want you to know that the battle is real. Okay? Now, I don't want to get too heavy on one side and not be fair to tell you that we all as Christians face three main battles. The first of which is the most prevalent and it's the most simple to understand. We face a battle with our own flesh. We face a battle with the world system or the cosmos as the Bible refers to it. And we face a battle with Satan. And when I say Satan, that would include all of the angels who have fallen with him. So there's three battles that you're facing every single day. That's rough. Amen? So I don't know how many of you ever say, man, life is pretty hard as a Christian. But if you say that, you're probably thinking rightly. 
It's hard. Our payment, our reward comes on the other side. Okay, we have three battles that we face. So let's just look at each one before we get into our real uh, problem with Satan here. First of all, your flesh, okay? What I mean by that is when a person gets saved, your spirit is redeemed. The unseen inner man is redeemed and made new. But you still reside in a body of flesh, all right? And as we know, I mean, everybody resonates with this. Everybody can understand that this body of flesh, it's a pain in the butt. And I mean, really, some of you have a pain in the butt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's a pain. It's falling apart. And the older you get, the more you realize you're going to struggle with sickness. This thing is going to begin to fall apart. But that same part of you, that fleshly part of you, is also the part where sin still lives. Okay? Our hope, as the Apostle Paul says throughout the Scriptures, and one of my favorites is found in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5, He talks about while we're in this tent, we groan. We are burdened, right? We long to shed this this body and to get our new and glorified body. Number one, so we won't be sick and tired anymore. Anybody sick and tired? Okay. But number two, so that we won't have to battle this, this war in our flesh with sin. Okay. So you have a redeemed spirit but your body still wants to drag you down. It's why Jesus had to say to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when the disciples were falling asleep, he had to say, watch and pray, Peter. Your spirit is going to be willing, but your body's going to be weak. Okay? So when we talk about the flesh, here's a quote uh, from Romans 7. This is the Apostle Paul. Lays it out pretty clearly. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. Doggone it. It does, doesn't it? You get up in the morning and you intend to do right, and before you know it, 500 temptations of your own flesh have come against you and you fail. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Isn't that easy to say? I love God's Word in my inner being. Now, what actually comes out of my mouth? You know what I mean? It's hard. Okay? So he says, but I see in my members another law waging war. Do you think that's a battle? Do you think that's serious? There is a law in your flesh that's waging war against the law of your mind or your spirit and making you captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Uh, I've posted to Facebook many times a saying on Hope and Passion site that says, we won't truly have arrived until we see him. It's going to be a battle to gain in righteousness until you see Him. You won't be perfect. Amen? So the first battle that you are going to face is the battle with your own flesh. I don't want to discount that. That's important to know. The second battle that we are going to face is a battle with the world system, which in the Greek and the Bible, you know, it, whenever we read the world, it can be confusing because in John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the World, And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it tells us, do not love the world. And you're like, how come, you know, there's a great Bible teacher who just talked about this recently. But world in some places means the people of the world. But world, when it's talking about the world system, the cosmos, that means the culture, the way of thinking that comes from the current prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, who is the devil. Okay? Now, when I say the world system, here's what I mean. Ready? Turn on the television. 
There you go. I mean, it is so bad. I can't even watch Andy Griffith reruns anymore because the commercials in between are so not of, of God, are so pressing. And, and I mean all kinds of different things. You know, you have uh, uh, just everything, the world system, down to the fact that everything, you pick up a magazine, you walk into the mall, you turn on your television, and one of the things that you're told is, you need more, 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 more materialism. You need what everybody else has. You need a bigger house. You need more clothes. You need certain brands. Do you know that is not of God? That's the world system. Okay? The culture is worse and worse. It's normalizing sin. That is the world system. So it's not just my own flesh, but every time I turn around, I can't even walk through the mall. And I'm being tempted to give in to worldly sinful ideas. Right? That's the world system. That's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The Apostle John said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, this is strong. If you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Everything that's in the world, and this nails it, the desires of the flesh, right? The sinful, fleshly, I want what I want part of me. The desires of the eyes, oh my goodness, that's what everybody else has, that's what I need, that looks good, the eye candy thing. And the pride of life, it's all about me, right? It's all about myself. That is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, so we got the flesh and we got the world system. How many of you think that's enough? That's great. That's hard enough, okay? Well, I could stop right there and we'd be like, this is going to be a battle the rest of our lives. It gets worse, my friends. It gets worse. All right? Satan. And again, when I say Satan, I mean Satan and his entire realm. All of the angelic beings that fell with Satan, he has demons at his control. And Satan is a real being. Unfortunately, the world has made us, you know, think about this, you know, the devil on one side, an angel on the other side type of cartoon battle. But that's not, that's not Satan. Okay? Satan is real. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He's active and alive in churches. Amen? He's not just in Walmart. He's in here. We know your forces are around us. Okay? We're not dumb. Okay, Satan. We face a battle with Satan. Um, the Apostle Peter, who we're going to really focus on here in a bit, aptly wrote these words, and you're going to see why he's the one that wrote these words. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? How many of you have kind of like written it off like a Sunday school memory verse? You're like, yeah, that's true. Huh, yeah. This is serious business. And you're going, to re- you're going to realize why Peter wrote this. Look, this verse is as true as John 3.16. You have an enemy. Not only do you have an enemy, but he is going to and fro around the earth, prowling around sneakily in a cunning fashion in your churches, in your lives, he is prowling around like a roaring lion, and his purpose is seeking people to devour. 
And in the Greek, the word devour means to swallow up, to destroy. It's like He wants to drink you down and be done with you. It's terrible. And this is extremely real. Real. We have to recognize this is the Word of God as much as anything else. So I've got three battles that I face. This is the one I want to focus on with you tonight because it's the one I think that is least addressed with Christians. All right. Before I get to that battle with Satan, I want to make sure that everybody understands mine and yours, our culpability in all this. That's a big word, but it means our responsibility. In other words, I got a battle with my flesh, I got a battle with the world system, and I'm actually battling Satan too. But there is not one excuse for me to fail in sin. Wow. It's a high standard, isn't it? I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, as I was working on the message, I felt the Holy Spirit. You know, make sure you insert this. Make sure you realize it. Just because the battle is on and it's real does not give you an excuse to sin. And I thought in my mind back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, there were Adam and Eve, and Satan inhabited a serpent and was right there beside them, right? If anybody had it rough, it was Adam and Eve, okay? And and I put this quote out on, on my Facebook page one day because this is the way I brought it down to my own level of thinking to understand my culpability in the whole thing. Think about this for a minute. No one can ever rightfully say, the devil made me do it, okay? The very first time Satan ever tempted humans to sin, God punished Adam and Eve right along with the devil. If they were not responsible, they would not have been penalized. Right? He was right there with them laying on the pressure, wasn't he? And after he caused Eve to fall and then Eve shared with her husband, here's what God didn't do. God didn't walk up to the devil and say, it's all your fault, buddy, Adam and Eve. You go off scot-free. This was a lot of pressure for you guys. Is that what he did? He cursed the serpent. Then he dealt with Eve. Then he dealt with Adam. Showing us that we have a culpability. It is our responsibility to deal in the battle with Satan. Amen? Okay. So that's important to remember. This does not excuse anybody. You can't say, oh, the devil's coming after me so hard. That's why. No. Jesus is the answer. He gives you what you need. All right, so this unseen battle. I want to take you back to the Old Testament. Well, first of all, we just talked about the unseen battle in the Garden of Eden when the devil, who disguises himself many times, entered into a serpent that was probably a beautiful, upright creature, right, and started fooling around with Adam and Eve. But I want to take you to the book of Daniel. I don't know how many of you have ever been to this book to realize this. If you want to talk about an unseen battle, it's not just the New Testament. This is Old Testament stuff. I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 10, and here's the setting. How many of you know who Danny is? Okay? Daniel. I mean, I like to believe that these guys, you know, Peter, Daniel, come on. They had to have nicknames like we do today. Nobody went around all the time and said, Daniel. They had to call him Danny. So you remember Danny. Okay? We think of him in the lion's den, right? We think of his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Now, I want you to think about Daniel for a minute. The setting in Daniel chapter 10 is that King Cyrus of Persia, two years before this is happening, 
allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Right? He said, you guys can go back to your homeland and start rebuilding. But in that two-year period, the people became very discouraged. Things weren't going so well back in the homeland. For some reason, we're not exactly sure why. Daniel hadn't returned with them. But things weren't going as well as expected. Daniel was very discouraged. And the Bible says that he fasted and prayed for 21 days, three weeks. And that was convicting to me because if I pray like really hard about something for an hour... I think, wow, surely God's got to move. You know what I mean? Wow. I prayed through two episodes of Andy Griffith. No, okay. You know, but he was fasting and praying for three weeks. Maybe we don't see God do amazing things because we're not really seeking God the way we should. But anyway, for three weeks he was praying in the midst of this discouraging situation. And he was waiting for an answer from God. And God was about to give him a tremendous vision about, like, the stuff of revelation. You know, the unknown future. But look what happens back here in the book of Daniel. This is very crazy stuff. Very crazy stuff. Watch this. This angel comes to Daniel and says, Fear not, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Okay? But it took the angel three weeks to get there, to give him the answer. Now, the next verse, remember, I quoted for you Ephesians 2.2. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It doesn't mean he's a literal prince, right? He's not like Prince Charles. But he is a heavenly or spiritual power, right? Right? In the next verse, we're going to see the word prince used in the same way, regarding both a demonic prince and a heavenly prince or power. Watch what the angel says to Daniel. I heard from the first day, and I was coming to you with the answer. But listen to this. Watch. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, right, an ungodly nation, withstood me 21 days. So this angel from God says, I was coming to you, but a demonic force over the kingdom of Persia, the literal country, uh, the literal nation of Persia, stopped me from coming to you. But Michael, that's the archangel Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is yet to come. Does everybody clearly see what just happened here? This is crazy stuff in the Bible. God gives us this slice, this look. We're able to peer into the unseen heavenly realms for just a minute and realize why sometimes when godly people seek the Lord by prayer and fasting, the answer doesn't come immediately. Have you ever been frustrated by that? How many of you are still waiting for an answer years down the road? Listen, God is on the move. And you don't want me to bust out and sing in that new song, okay? That's why I love the worship team, because I can't sing. But I'm about to bust out and do, but God is on the move, amen? He's working. He's not only working in the hearts and the circumstances of people on this earth to answer your prayer, He is battling demonic powers in the heavenly realms. Isn't this crazy? 
There are angels going to bat on the behalf of the prayers that you are seeking God to answer. All right? Now, I want to, just, just in case any of you think I'm crazy, and I always say I know you do, but for other reasons. I don't want you to think I'm crazy about the Bible here. I'm going to quote somebody that most of you well respect, Dr. Michael Youssef. He's spot on. All right? Most people can resonate with Dr. Michael Youssef. And concerning this passage of Scripture, here's what Michael Youssef said. He said, these verses spotlight the invisible forces that move events in the visible world. If you've ever wondered why evil seems to reign in the affairs of nations, you ever wonder about ISIS and all these nations where this crazy stuff is going on, including our own nation? You ever think about this election and what in the world is happening? Here's the reason. And I get chills when I say this. I'm going to stand and say, the war that we have in America right now and the problem we have in America is not a political problem. It is a spiritual problem. I'm so tired of Christians trying to fight it. Yes, we vote and we get involved in politics from a Christian worldview. Don't get me wrong. This is a spiritual battle. Look at this. Unseen rulers war against God. And these rulers use individuals and nations as their proxy agents to carry on the hidden struggle. You don't think there are demons assigned to the leaders of ISIS? You don't think that's behind what's going on? You don't think there are demonic forces operating among the higher-ups of the United States and everything that's happening in, in the change of our culture and our laws and our nation? Amen. Okay? So listen to me. The unseen battle is real. God let us see it in Daniel chapter 10. That's Old Testament. And it was going on then. And it is still going on. In the New Testament, we think about Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Was that a battle? How many of you think that after Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and being offered to eat bread and, you know, take over at that point, not go to the cross, do you think the devil was pretty cunning, pretty sly, pretty tempting? Okay? That was a battle that Jesus faced. And he showed us by example, all right, what we are going to face. The devil misuses, misquotes scriptures. Can you believe it? The devil will probably never come to you as a Christian and speak to you secular jargon. He'll twist the Bible. He'll take it out of context. He'll twist a few words around. He'll, he'll have preachers on the air, multi-million dollar preachers flying around in their jet planes, twisting the Word of God. That's how the devil operates. you got Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, another example, how about the demoniacs? I don't know how many of you have ever studied uh, the demoniacs. It's in three of the Gospels. Do you guys remember? There were two of them. Some accounts only highlight one. But there were these two demoniacs. They lived among the tombs. you remember reading about them? These were men who were so possessed by demons. They were human beings. Possessed by demons to the point where they broke the chains that people tied them up with. They cut themselves. Do we have a problem in America today with all kinds of self-mutilation? They cut themselves. 
They were so violent, nobody would walk that way. Amen? That was a spiritual battle. You don't think that demons today possess anybody? Or oppress anybody? You're not reading your Bible then, right? This is a real battle. Number three. Now here's, here's, we're going to go from the demoniacs to my favorite disciple, Petey. I love Petey. The man was nuts. I love him just because he was nuts. He was so wild. He was such a type A personality. He was such a big mouth. I like him. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm like him. Like I put my foot in my mouth. I got a big mouth. I'm passionate for Jesus. But then when I do wrong, I'm pretty passionate about that too. I got a big mouth when I'm wrong. Okay, but this is Peter. But I want to show you something. The battle is not just uh, with demoniacs. The battle is not just with the Prince of Persia. The battle is occurring with actual followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? The setting here in Matthew 16:23. and if you have a Bible, would you turn there or grab one out of the pew? I just want you to see the context. Matthew 16. I just wrote a devotion on this and emailed it out to Hope and Passion's database. I hope that some of you read this. This really, really got me here. This is wild stuff. This is Matthew 16. And I want you to look with me at verse 21. Okay? The disciples are with Jesus. And things are winding down. And, and Jesus knows what's going to become of Him. And in verse 21 of Matthew 16... From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Okay? Now, before we read any further, so you got this Jesus who these guys have been walking with for three years and they love Him. Don't they? They love Him to the best of their human ability. They're they're loving Him. They're believing what he's saying. And now he's looking at them and saying, by the way, guys, remember what the Old Testament said. Remember what I've been telling you all along. I'm headed to Jerusalem soon, and I'm going to suffer really badly, and they're going to put me to death. I am going to have to die. And then I'm going to be raised again. And you know how when somebody gives you good news and bad news, and the only thing you hear is the bad news? Okay, I'm going to die. Okay, now here's Petey. Passionate Petey. I, I was thinking about him all week. This, I'm like, he loved Jesus. He did. I mean, in his emotions. Let's just give him a little bit of credit. You know, when I read what he did here, I have to think, well, he's a human. He loves Jesus. So Jesus says he has to die. And Peter, can you imagine doing this to the Lord? Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Who's up for that? Okay, I'm going to take the Lord aside and I'm going to give him what for. Okay, that's what Peter did. And here's what he said. He said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Let me ask you a question. What if it never would have happened? What if he never would have died? What if Peter would have gotten his emotional desire at that moment? None of us would be saved. Amen? 
to think about that the next time you're walking in your emotions and you're not walking in truth and what's right. So here's what he said. This shall never happen to you. That was God's whole plan for Jesus. But he turned and said to Peter, now watch this. Who's he talking to? A demoniac? No. Jesus is talking to one of his three closest friends, his follower. He looks at Peter. Can you imagine this? I'm going I'm to point to Katie because I know Katie won't be offended. Oh, she would be, but she'd never tell me. Okay, so, so he turns to Peter, his dearest friend, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. What? Jesus just called Peter Satan. Really? Is that in all versions? Yeah. He said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You are a hindrance to me. You're not keeping in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The whole point of my devotion I just wrote on this was, are you involved in satanic activity? Because when I say satanic activity, everybody thinks Ouija boards, sorcery, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you know what satanic activity is, according to Jesus Christ? When you think about what you want instead of what God wants then you are being so satanic that Jesus would look at you and call you Satan in that moment because Satan has so overtaken your thoughts. Isn't that wild? True satanic activity. Real battle. You talk about a battle in the unseen realm. Peter was so influenced at this moment by Satan himself that Jesus chose to call him that in that moment. You think the battle was real for Petey? Okay. Now, how about the Apostle Paul? Okay. Let's deal with another Christian. Context of 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Okay. Paul has been given many revelations by God. He he peered into the third heavens. Uh, He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul was given so many wonderful revelations and so much of the Word of God that God knew in His sovereignty something needed to keep Peter humble. So watch this. Watch this. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of who? Satan. To keep me from being conceited. Okay, who wants you not to be conceited? God or Satan? God. So who is in charge of letting Satan bring this thorn to Paul? God said, go ahead, Satan. And Satan brought to Paul a thorn in the flesh. And I'm not going to argue about what that was, but I will tell you that I know that my type 1 diabetes is a thorn in my flesh. And I know that that could have been even a physical struggle like some say that it was, whether it was eyesight or headaches or whatever it may have been, those of us that struggle with chronic illness, you know, okay? And I do believe whatever Satan means for harm, God means for good. Nonetheless, let's not belittle this, this thorn in the flesh came from Satan under God's full control. Are you with me? There's a lot of unseen battle taking place here. And then I want to end as another example before we get to the hard-hit part, the armor of God. How many of us like to talk about the armor of God with little kids? We like to sing the songs, right? 
put on the helmet of salvation. You go buy the plastic, get up, and you wear it, and that's good. Kids learn the armor of God. But here's what bugs me. Most adults don't know what precedes the verses, right? Everybody talks about the armor of God, but why? Why do we need the armor of God? What does the Bible say? Watch this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Have you ever felt that there must be somebody that you can't see who knows exactly what it takes to really pick you off Have you ever had the feeling that there was somebody somewhere who knew exactly what it takes to bring you down to a point of depression, to stop you in your tracks, to irritate you, right? How many of you have ever felt, I feel like somebody actually knows me and is plotting this against me, hitting every weak spot I've got? How many of you ever felt like that? Amen. You do. Satan. He's not omniscient, but believe me, he studies humanity. He knows a lot about what's going on, okay? And he, these, this word for schemes means cunning and crafty methods of operation. He's studying you and what it takes to bring you down. That's why you need to put on the armor of God, okay? Now watch this. For we, uh, this is one of the most undervalued verses in the Bible. This precedes the armor of God. So if you're going to teach the armor of God to all the kids and all the people, teach this is why you need it. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, there are times that I'd like to. Anybody ever like to have a good punch-out session? Take you down. I'd like to shake some people by the neck. Okay, but anyway. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We hold back. But watch this. Here's what the Bible says. But we do wrestle. Are you with me? We do wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities. That doesn't mean like the police and the authorities above us. This goes back to the prince stuff. This means we do wrestle against higher spiritual powers. That's what it means. We wrestle against cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Have you ever appreciated that verse before? This is serious. You wonder what's happening in America? There's a heavenly spiritual battle taking place. You can't see it with your eyes, but it's more real than the air you're breathing. Amen? Because more real than the natural is the supernatural. And I've got to tell you something. Even in this sanctuary right now, angels, angelic powers, demonic powers are having a battle. They're warring right now in people's minds and hearts as I speak the Word of God. They are in this room. And we're in battle with them. And I've been battling them for a month just trying to write the message. Bring it on. That's what I have to say. We do wrestle. Memorize this verse. Know this verse is real. Know your enemy. And I just, I won't take long on this to save time, but I do want you to know that the deception of the unseen battle will continue to get worse and worse. The coming of the lawless one who is the Antichrist will be by the activity of Satan with all kinds of uh, false wonders and false signs and false miracles 
with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. The whole method of the Antichrist is going to be deception. Amen? And he's worming his way into the churches even now with false teaching and false prophecy, misleading people. They're going astray. False Christ and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders. Okay, you tell me if this verse doesn't mean there's a spiritual battle taking place. So as to lead astray, if possible, who? The even the elect. Do you know, I, 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 can, I can tell you this because I remember I was walking between my refrigerator and my garbage can just this evening, and here's what I prayed out loud. Dear God, don't let me be even sincerely led astray. Dear God, keep me safe. Amen? The deception's going to get worse. The battle's going to get worse, not better. So, Jesus, when He was on the earth, knowing that this battle was real, He prayed while He was on the earth. We call this the high priestly prayer. We take it for granted. I'm going to go over it pretty quickly until I get to one particular line. This is the long recorded prayer of Jesus while He was still on the earth with His, with his disciples. He said to the Father when He was getting ready to leave, I have given them the words that You gave me. They've received them. They've come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Now keep this phrase in mind for a little bit later. What did Jesus say when he was on the earth? I am praying for them. Even Jesus, the Son of God, when he was on earth, did what? Prayed for his friends, his disciples, okay? He said, I'm not praying for the world that's, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail. It doesn't mean that God's not reaching out to the unsaved, but Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He says, I'm praying for them that you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming back to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Now watch this. Tune in here. Look at what Jesus prayed. I have guarded, and that's, by the way, a military term. He was serious about this. I have guarded them. I have surrounded them. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. The only one, Jesus, when he prayed to the Father, he says, I've guarded these disciples you gave to me, and I haven't lost one of them, Dad, except the one that we both knew was going to be lost to fulfill our word. You with me? Only Judas was lost. None of the others were lost. This is important because what you're going to see in just a minute. Then he said, but now I'm coming to you. I'm leaving this earth. And these things that I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And listen to me, believers. The world is going to hate us more and more and more and more. You're going to stick out more and more and more and more. It's going to get worse. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. At that point, I want to say to Jesus, why not? Okay? Why not? Okay? There is a purpose for you left. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternity. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but watch what Jesus says. 
But I do pray that you keep them from the evil one. This is interesting. Jesus, in effect, is saying, I'm going to leave them down here with the prince of the power of the air, and it's going to be rough on them, God. It was rough on me. It's going to be rough on them. It's going to be really bad on them. But I'm not an escape hatch. The only thing I'm asking, Father, is keep them from ultimately being devoured by the evil one. This is not a rose garden, my friends. The church of Jesus Christ is an army. And people on the front lines in the army don't have an easy life. Amen? Okay, now watch. So that's what Jesus prayed for the disciples in general when he was on earth. I want you to tune your ears in to one of the craziest verses in the Bible. This is a specific example of Jesus' prayer for one particular individual now. Okay? And what I want to do before we go to this verse is I want you to think with me, of all the famous things that people know about the Bible, almost everybody worldwide, if they know anything about the Bible, they know about Job. How many of you say, poor Job? Poor Job. I mean, seriously. I'm not belittling Job. Everybody knows about Job. Oh my, God let Satan go after Job. Killed his family. His family dies. He loses all of his worldly goods. Then the devil comes back and asks permission to attack his body. And, and, and God gives permission and he loses his health. And I mean, he stays faithful to God, but he was attacked in so many ways. And both times that he came to God and asked for permission, God said yes. And both times... The Bible says that Satan, when he came to God, had been busy walking to and fro around the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And when he went into God's presence and God brought up Job, Satan said, let me at him. Because, and, 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 and the devil was very clear. He said, I'm going to prove to you, God, that this guy doesn't really love you. And after Job stayed faithful through the first hit, the devil said, now I'm going to prove that he doesn't love you, God, because if I, skin for skin, you take away his health, he'll deny you, he'll curse you. That's what the devil wanted Job to do because John 10.10, 10, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 8.44, the devil is a murderer. He wanted Job to fall and fail. And everybody knows the story of Job, and it's Old Testament, and it's a bit mysterious. The thing that gets me about Job is, when Job cried out to God faithfully, God never told him why this was happening, did he? God never sat him down and said, by the way, Job, maybe this will help ease your mind. The devil, you know, he came to me, and he asked, and here's the battle that's taking place. God never gave him that advantage. But Petey... Petey knew. Watch this. This is a crazy verse. Jesus took Peter aside right before Jesus, right before Peter was about to deny Jesus. Okay? This is right before Peter's denial of Christ. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. This uncannily resonates with the story of Job. And sometimes I can push Job out of my mind because it's so 
Old Testament, which we shouldn't. This is New Testament. This is Peter. Jesus said, Peter, Satan came to me and he asked to sift you like wheat. And I want you to understand what that word means. You know, in the Bible, we read about God separating the wheat from the chaff in the end time, right? And the chaff of the unsaved and the wheat of the saved. What, what's happening here is the devil went to God and said, I, okay, I don't know if you guys know how they sifted wheat and chaff and stuff. They had different, you know, you could take the winnowing fork and throw it up into the air and the wind would blow the chaff off and the good stuff would fall to the ground. Or you could take, a women would take sieves and they would hold the sieve on an angle and they would shake that stuff so hard and the rocks would fall down here and the good wheat would be in the middle and the chaff would lay up at the top and they would violently shake that stuff to separate what was good from what was not good. And what Satan did was he came to God and said, I want Peter. I want to shake him so hard that I shake him right out of his face. And actually, the word for you there in that first line is plural, indicating that Satan asked that of all the disciples. But the focus here is on Peter. Now listen, I don't have any trouble believing the Scripture because I know that the devil has done gone to God and said... I want to shake Shelly so hard that maybe she'll give up. Anybody ever felt that before? You don't have to tell me this verse is Bible. I know this verse is Bible. You determine to live for Jesus Christ, Satan's going to come and say, I want to shake you. I'll use physical. I'll use emotional. I'll use spiritual. I'll use the unsaved. I'll use the body of Christ. I'm going to tear you to shreds till there's nothing left and you just fall over and say, I give up. I'm done believing. Anybody ever been there? You don't have to tell me this is truth. This is truth. Now watch what happens. I want you to understand something. When Satan does that, just like with the Apostle Paul, messenger of Satan, but God used it for Paul's good, you are going to be shaken. No doubt in the world every Christian is going to be shaken. Here's the only question you have to have. Am I going to give in to Satan's purpose in shaking me which is to make me give up my faith? Or am I going to stick with God's plan that He wants to make me better and closer to Him? Amen? That's the only question you should have. Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus looked at Peter. I want to tell you something. Take this the right way. Coming up is one of the biggest buts in the Bible. Okay? But, really, watch this. He says, Satan came and said, I want to shake you so hard, Peter. I want to shake you so hard, Phyllis. You just give up on God. That's what the devil wants to do. You know what Jesus said to Peter? To Phyllis? But Phyllis, I've prayed for you. This is Jesus. No, wait a second. This is Jesus. This isn't Shelly Prindle, right? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith 
will not fail. Okay? And really, there isn't much more to it than that. Because Jesus says, but, I prayed for you, Shelley. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And watch this, the most comforting words in the whole Bible. And so, Petey, when you come back, because you're going to come back, when you turn around after you have failed me and denied me three times in just a few hours from now, when you come back, i got a big job for you to do. You're going to build other people up. Amen? So I look at my life, my 47 years, and I look back, and there are people who look at my life, and they, they watch my life in ministry and say, man, that is one life I do not want to have. I've had so many, every kind of problem could ever come down the pike. And I look back over all that time, and I say, Jesus, mm-hmm, I'll take it all and strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? He said, when you've turned again, you're going to fail me, but I've prayed for you. Okay, let's bring this home to us. This is the last part. I want to bring this home to us. So you know it's true of Peter. You know it's true of you. I want to tell you, Jesus not only not only did he pray for his disciples when he was on the earth, not only did he pray for Peter in his specific battle with Satan, but he is praying for you. Watch this. The Bible says in Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you understand that? Where is Jesus right now? His body, His Spirit is in this room. Amen? His Spirit is in this room. His physical body is at the right hand of the Father. And I want to say something to preface another thought. Listen, when Jesus left this earth, He left in the body that He raised from the tomb from, right? And the body He came out of the tomb with still had the scars in it, correct? Because he offered to show Thomas his scars, right? I mean, he came out with the scars still in his body. want to make that abundantly clear. So Jesus' body goes up to heaven. His spirit is here. He himself in his physical body is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing right now? Look at this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Unfortunately, many people leave him on the cross. He did die. I'm not belittling that. But the Bible says more than that. And in the Greek, it means greater than that. Okay? It wasn't just that he died. What was so amazing is he rose from death, right? So don't leave him on the cross. Don't just talk about it like it's history. Well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, you know, and I don't have to go to hell now, you know, and okay, that's Christian life. No. Jesus is alive right now. He's at the right hand of the Father, and what is He doing? He is what? Praying for you. Right now, He's praying for you in the body that He has. Matter of fact, Hebrews says, He is able to save to the uttermost. How many of you need saved more than just a little? I I love this scripture because I'm thinking, God, I, I don't just need an average save. I need a big save. 
Ghost because He's alive right now doing what? He lives to intercede for you. Hey, if Jesus, the Son of God, needs to be alive to pray for me, I must need some heavy-duty help. Right? Now, here are, in my closing, I want, I want you to understand two things that Jesus is praying for you for. Everybody in this room is going to fall into one of these two categories or maybe both. Here's the two things Jesus is presently praying for you, and I want you to remember the spiritual battle we're in. You ready for this? One of my favorite verses in the Bible, the Apostle John. He said, my little children, and he didn't mean little children. He meant we're all, don't you love when God calls you a little child? Hold me, you know. (laughs) My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Love that verse. Everybody, don't sin. Okay? And isn't that how Christianity works? I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. And then all Christians just never, we don't, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, it doesn't end there. Then, then you get another big but here. But, I like that out. But, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate there is a fancy word that means a defense. Okay, now remember. Jesus ascended to the Father in the physical body that he left the earth with. You ready? He left the earth with that same body. So here we go. So what is Jesus doing? What is he praying for me right now? What is he interceding about right now on my behalf? Thank God he's interceding for me for my sins. Amen? One of the biggest battles that the devil is going to come against you with, are you ready for this? I preach all over the place, women, men, teenagers, doesn't matter. Do you know one of the biggest battles that Christians face? The devil holds them back with false guilt. Well, you're just not a good enough Christian. Look what you did yesterday. Look at your past. You're not as good a Christian as so-and-so. And and the devil holds us back, right, with our sin. Listen to me. Picture this. Jesus the superhero, right? The devil comes to God the Father and says this, God, this is the devil, and and you know the battle's real, so he's really doing this. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Have you ever heard that verse? He is constantly going to God and accusing you of your sins. So here's what the devil is doing right now in the unseen realm, and I know you're doing it, Satan. Ready? He goes to God the Father and he says, Father... Shelly, she doesn't really deserve to feel your love today. Did you see what she thought about so-and-so in church this morning? God, Shelly doesn't deserve to study the Word and share it with anyone else. Did you realize two days ago how little she believed the Bible? God, Shelly doesn't deserve right relationship with you because look at the sins she has committed. That's what the devil is doing in the unseen realm. Do you ever feel that pressure, or is it just me? Do you ever feel that false guilt? Do you know what this verse says? Jesus is at the right hand of God, and here's what he's doing. God is here. Jesus is in the middle. Devil's here. Devil's blasting all these accusations. You know what Jesus is doing? Holding up the nail-scarred hands, right? 
like Superman. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Only it's Jesus, forgiver man. He's holding up his nail-scarred hand. The devil sends an accusation here. All these accusations are coming in. Nope. Shielding. And every accusation goes into the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. He says, nope. My blood absorbed that one. Nope. My blood absorbed that one. Nope, 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 nope. And, hey, no accusations made it to the Father. Amen? That's the first thing he's doing. And the second thing, and in closing, here's what I want you to know Jesus is praying for you about right now. Another highly underrated verse in the Scriptures. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. For about the past six to eight months of my life, God has like weighed this upon my heart. I've shared it with teenagers. I've shared it at Christian schools. I've shared it with women. I've shared it all over the place. It's just real heavy on my heart. I want you to understand something. Jesus understands. See, here's the thing. We sometimes think, well, He's the Son of God, so He can't really understand my struggle. So I want to bring some reality to you. Will you allow me to bring a little bit of reality to you? Jesus. When did He begin to suffer? A lot of people think, well, He started suffering on the cross. You know, that was when He really suffered. Eh, wrong. Well, let's back it up a little bit. He started to suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was sweating great drops of blood, right? And he's crying so hard. That's when he started to suffer. Ah, no, let's back it up some more. How was Jesus born into the world? God just like dropped him on the earth, right? Poof, and there he was. He didn't have to come out with great travail out of the womb of a woman. I don't remember that pain, do you? I don't remember my struggle in coming out of my mother's womb. But I'm pretty sure that it was a struggle. I've not birthed a child, but can anybody testify? That was travail. Okay? So Jesus started his suffering the second he was placed by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, right? When he had to live, forgive me for being so graphic, in the bloody womb of a woman. Right? And get his nutrition through an umbilical cord like everybody else. You with me? Then he had to be born, okay? He had to come out of the womb of Mary... He got laid in a manger, all right? Now, Jesus, you know, when he was hungry, God just dropped milk from heaven right into his mouth, right? No. When Jesus was hungry, he had to cry. Did he feel hunger? Yeah, did he have to cry for milk and food? Yeah, okay. Oh, so, okay. Well, what about when he learned to walk? Doesn't the Bible just say, it doesn't say too much about his young life, but do you think Jesus just, you know, turned the right age for walking? You know, he became a toddler and all of a sudden he went from all fours and he just jumped straight up and said, oh, now I can walk. Ah, uh, no. It, it says he grew, you know, in wisdom and stature with men and with God. I think Jesus had to toddle around I think he had to fall down and scrape his knees. You with me? I think he had to. I think he had to learn how to walk. Now, 
in Jesus' day, uh, people didn't accept that Joseph was his father. People weren't into the, I was put in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit story. So I think that Jesus grew up being considered an illegitimate child, which today isn't even nearly as bad as it was then. So I think Jesus' family didn't have a very good reputation. They weren't the family that you wanted to go to the picnic in the neighborhood. Okay? Now, Jesus was also uh, not born in Nazareth, but raised in Nazareth. Do you know what Nazareth was like? Picture, everybody picture in your mind, I don't want to say a place, but picture in your mind a town or a location from around where you are. Name it in your mind. If it is the place that you would say, if I had the choice, I would never buy a house and raise a family in that town. That's a bad, bad town. Everybody got one in your mind? That's Nazareth. That's what it was like. Wrong side of the tracks. Man, nothing good ever comes from there. Nobody from there ever goes to college. Nobody from there ever has a good reputation. That's a nasty place. That's where Jesus grew up. Okay, son of a carpenter. Hard work. He had to sweat. He had to work. Okay, the Bible is very clear. I won't take time for sake of time, but Isaiah 53, read it for yourself. Here's one that always gets to teenagers. Bible says, and I know Joe addressed this in one of his connection services, the Bible says that Jesus had no beauty. He was not good looking. He was average at best. That's what the Bible says. So the teenagers love this. He wasn't the guy walking down the hall and all the girls were saying and all the guys were saying, you know, all the girls were saying, oh, I hope I can go on a date with him, man. He's good looking. Or, you know, all the guys were like, oh, shoot, man. I wish I was like, Jesus, he's so cool. Okay, he wasn't. He was a man of sorrows. He was weighed down by heaviness and grief. He wasn't particularly good looking. He was an average person. He struggled. He struggled. He he struggled in relationships. He had people turn their back on him. He knew what it was like to be lonely, right? He knew what it was like to be tired. He talked to the woman at the well. The Bible says he sat down at that well, not because, you know, it doesn't give us any big spiritual reason. It says he was just so weary, he had to sit down. Anybody ever felt like that? Okay? Jesus knows what it's like. And scholars debate this. I know that they do. Uh, You know, did he ever experience any type of sickness? You know, some illnesses are the direct result of sin, but illness as a whole has come over the earth as a result of the general curse of sin. And Jesus came to live under that curse, did he not? He put on a body. Knew what it was like to be tired. I like to think, I, I personally believe, this is not, I'm not saying this is 100% biblical, my opinion, that he probably did suffer with headaches, have a virus here and again. Knew what it was like. You with me? So here's what it says. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. So he's at the right hand of the Father, defending your sins, but here's the other thing he's doing. You're down here in this battle with Satan. You're like, I'm ready to give up. This is too much for me. I feel like I'm going to die under the weight of this. You know what the Bible says about Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? It says he was overwhelmed with sorrow. 
to the point of death. You know what that means? That means I think I'm going to die. This is so heavy. Anybody ever had that? You ever have your heart beat out of your chest so heavy and so hard you were so anxious and weighted down by something you didn't even think your veins could hold your blood anymore? It was just pumping, blood pressure up. You know, literally in the Garden of Gethsemane, his capillaries started to burst, blood pressure so high, stress so high. So while you're in the battle, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and here's what he's saying. God, Shelly, man, she's in a tight spot right now. I know exactly what she's feeling. I've been there. We gotta, we got to help her. Okay? The father doesn't know that. The son knows. He's the one who came and put on a body. And his spirit is down here with us. This is my last verse. Watch this. I don't know if you've ever wondered about the mystery of this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's not such a hard-to-understand verse. Here's the way I get it. I'm down here. He's up there. He understands. He's talking to the Father. He's sending His strength to me through His Spirit that He put in my heart when I accepted Him as Savior. And when my brain doesn't know how to pray, sometimes I just sit before God and I groan. Nothing wrong with that. Amen? I know there are people in here, you have problems, you don't even know how to talk about them. Who would even understand? Right? Nobody knows exactly. Yeah, somebody does. That's when the Spirit comes. Jesus' Spirit is at the right hand of God the Father. He says, I know the battle's real. I'm really your help and your answer. I'm not taking you out of this world and leaving you in it. But I will protect you from the evil one. And not one of you will be lost. Amen? Not one of you will be lost. Would you bow your heads with me?